Welcome to the Reformed Brotherhood. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. I'm Tony. And I'm Jesse. Brother? I'm gonna have a brother? <laughs> I've always dreamed about having a brother. If you'd like to join our brotherhood, you can join our Facebook group. You can email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at reformbrohood. You can also subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother-in-law. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. What is happening, Jesse? Well, this, well, this is what we got to deal with first, and that is let's compare our respective weather situations right now. Let's oh, start geez. with you. It was beautiful today, actually. Um, it's amazing because last week we got – uh, probably close to two feet of snow between uh, Monday and Wednesday snowstorms. And it was like in the mid 50s today. So a lot of it actually melted off. It was great. Say what? Okay. I well, know. that's better than I thought because it was like a really balmy 71 degrees here. It is the Lord's Day, February 19th, and it is 71 degrees. It was glorious. Yeah, it was crazy. If this is uh, climate change, then I'm totally fine with it. That's exactly how I feel too. Like, I, you know, certainly there's a parts of it where... I guess I'm not down with like things melting that shouldn't, but I'm also totally down with snow melting on February 19th. There's there's no snow. Nice. Yeah. It's awesome. And I have this like really great, you've seen this, I think in my house, I have this really great, I guess like, um, thermometer slash weather station that my brother got me. So it's like one of those electric weather stations. It's got like a square panel and it has a sensor for outside. And in addition to things like barometric pressure and trends and obviously the temperature, it has this little dude on it and he changes his outfit depending on the temperature outside. So as it gets warmer, like he moves into like more advanced stages of disrobing, which I think is like the absolute best way to track the weather. And I'm happy to say it's February 19th and he took off his pants for the first time this year. That's praise God for taking off your pants in February. <laughs> we have just got the title <laughs> to this podcast. Yes. I mean, I guess technically he's wearing shorts, but eh, let's think of them as boxers. I much prefer it that way. Yeah. And I also feel like there should just be a rule in my home that like, however he's dressed is the way that we should dress. Like uh, that's reasonable. Home. I think that's yeah. reasonable. I think that's totally, totally on. So this is like episode 23, 24. 24. See, I'm not even paying attention. So this is episode 24. I know. We're almost we're almost to like a quarter of a hundred. Quarter of a century. Yes. We're absolutely crushing it. And all we have to do is just show up every week and record podcasts. <laughs> I, I suppose there's not a lot of way to take pride in the fact that we're just being sequential. But yeah, it seemed to me that it was about time that we laid bare something and really let the world into something very particular about our family. So you're part of our family, you married into our family, and we're yes. very happy about that. Yes. And every family, I'm sure, has its own vernacular, its own language oh, that man. it uses. Is yeah. it time? It's time. It's time. Oh, it man. is time. This is the cast. And so in our family, as you know, there's one word in particular that is ubiquitous. This is a word that we use all the time. I think it was time that we, one, introduced it to the world, two, encouraged the world to use it. And so... I want to introduce that word now. The word that my family uses all the time is the word Nate, N-A-T-E. 
as in the nickname for Nathan. And I think this is perfect because, Tony, since you are somewhat of like an outsider, at least like in the classical sense to our family, I was wondering, would you be able to give us a working definition of the word Nate? Oh, man. I don't know that I can. An example. No, just go for it. Just go for it. So um, Nate is, well, it's a noun, but it's also an adjective. So in its noun form, uh, it usually refers to uh, someone who is annoying or maybe is um, being like a butthead, being (laughs) stubborn. Um, So you might say if someone is refusing to, I don't know, fold their laundry, you might say, man, quit being a Nate and fold your laundry. (laughs) It's easier to describe when you use it in a sentence. And as an adjective, it's like an intensifier. So you might say like, man, that is a big Nate pile of snow out there. (laughs) This is so good and so accurate. Yes. So disclaimer, uh, maybe not disclaimer, apologies to all of our friends named Nate. So Nathan Anderson, uh, Nathan Swan, Nathan Schmidt, Nathan Pickowitz, any other Nathans that I may know. My it's not, goodness, it's not you personal. know a lot of Nathans. Hey, I'm an administrator in a group of 17,000 people. So there's a fair number of Nathans in there. That is incredible and yes. slightly unfortunate for and them. And also to the owner of Nathan's Ballpark Franks. Those things are delicious. So actually, those things are delicious. They are. Yeah, and that that brings up that. another use. We call um, small like pub food, like appetizers. We call them little nates. Yeah, that's true. So like, was didn't it start? It was those little hot dogs with crescent rolls we used to have at um, New Year's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like now, like you might call like a, like a little piece of shrimp might be like a little nate. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's or our over. new our new nephew, we might at some point call him a little nate. Which oh, would be I've a already, term of endearment. I've done it several times there today. There you go. Yeah. So the interesting thing about this word usage is that its etymology is uncertain, like yes. all good words. So I don't even remember <laughs> how we ended up using it in this way. But it does have, is it fair to say it kind of has like a pejorative connotation? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's very much <laughs> like you might say, what a butthead or like what a tool. Right. It's like not if, quite as hard as tool. It's not exactly. quite as aggressive. But it's exactly. more like, man, what a butthead. Kind of like that. And it can be like slightly endearing mm-hmm. and sarcastic, like used in our family, referring right. to each other. Right. But in that way. But you're right. Like it's the kind of thing. So it's it's obviously you do use it from time to time, correct? Oh, yeah. I use it pretty frequently. Yeah. So I use it all the time. Uh, my wife uses it. In fact, again, we were like in the car the other day and somebody, she was driving. I was in the passenger seat. Somebody cut her off and she was literally like, what is this Nate doing? <laughs> so it, it's like the perfect... So I, first of all, I want people to use this word because you're right. It does describe in kind of a pejorative sense somebody who's doing like something silly or foolish, but it can also describe like, I would say like the actions of somebody who exhibits that behavior. So for instance, I was, our family was together for Christmas. Right. And I, you know, from time to time, like to channel uh John Owen. So like my understanding of John Owen was one of the things he liked to do was wear some like bright red boots, which I think are. I've never awesome. heard that, but that's pretty awesome. And so I like to channel him by wearing like colorful khakis because <laughs> that just that just seems like it's a it's a good fit for me. Your red pants, man! Horrible, horrible pun. So I I was we were at home at Christmas, and uh, I walk out wearing these bright green pants for like a church service, and uh, <laughs> my brother just looks at me and is like. Stop being a Nate. Yeah, why, why, exactly. why are you wearing those pants? Stop being so, a Nate. 
So we use this all, all the time. And so I was actually thinking the other day in the context of this word, I wanted to have a discussion with you about Nate's of the Bible. Nate's of the Bible. Who are in your mind, some of the Nate's of the Bible and why? Oh man. Nate's of the Bible. We're talking about Nate's as in like the characteristic, not the actual name. Because exactly. there's obviously yeah. Nathan Again, the prophet. I'm, I'm really sorry if your name is Nathan. I, I'm, that statement should just stand by itself. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm doubly sorry though if you go by Nate. Because the thing is, and and I do know, know some, uh, some Nate's and then I know some Nate's. Uh, but the Nate's who are, who are fantastic people... I do have this like weird aversion. Seriously, if I'm like meeting people like through acquaintance, especially in business, and they say introduce themselves as Nate, like there's a little bit of something within me that bristles. I don't know why. You're like, uh, can I call you Nathan? And then maybe <laughs> when we're a little bit closer, I'll explain why. Yeah. <laughs> After you've already signed for this loan or whatever, I'll explain exactly. to you why I insist on calling you by your full name. Exactly. I feel like nobody who would who would go by Nate. I don't know. It's such a weird thing. So you, you could be like, uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, as an official of the bank, I need to call you by your full legal first name. So I'll have to go with Nate. Yeah. Usually I try to go by go by full names. Like I, I suppose it's odd if somebody's like, you can call me Nate. And I'm like, that's OK. I'm <laughs> no just going to call you Nathan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks. But no, thanks. Nate's so of the really, Bible. It did get me thinking, like, who are some Nates of the Bible? Those that kind of exhibit... Um, the tendencies and the behavior that kind of encapsulate that name. You, you got anybody that comes like top of mind when I say that? Well, we, I mean, the last time we did a random episode, I would say uh, we talked about Balaam and Balaam was definitely a Nate in the Bible. For sure. So whatever was going on in that situation, Balaam was definitely being a Nate. Um, Lot, I think was probably a bit of a Nate. Oh, interesting. So um, because of like his failure to like conceive of what was actually going on and well, a couple of though, like, Abraham's like, which land do you want? And Lot was like, I'll take the good land. <laughs> and Abraham's like, oh, that's kind of a Nate move. Like, don't be a Nate. Take the, take the, the he's your uncle. Take the other land. By the but way, then like everything else just kind of like played into his Nateness. Oh, that's a good point. By the way, your use of the word Nate, you used it in almost every conceivable way. In, yeah. in just that little piece there. It's yep. brilliant. You make me yep. very proud of the way that you've embraced this, this word. I try. It's funny. The first time, um, when I came uh, for the wedding, the first time that I met you and Jen and Adam and Patience was at, at the wedding for Zach. And um, before I came, Ashley like sat me down and was like, we need to have like a little language training about like all the different words and what they mean. And she like went through all of the all of the main the big words that the family uses that we you know, that aren't, aren't normal usage words. So it's pr- yeah. it's really proved you well because <laughs> I'm I'm very impressed. So I like the I like the answer with Lot, and also you really should do some kind of recording. Like I don't know if you have this on your own like side podcast project, but you should do something where you just paraphrase, especially biblical narrative passages <laughs> in that voice that you just did. I like how you're like Abraham was like, eh. yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Who's who's a Nate that comes to mind for you? So obviously, like there's the really low hanging fruit like Judas, but I feel like that's not even. He, I can't even. I feel like Nate is not a not a descriptive enough term for exactly. Judas. That's exactly where I was going to go. Yeah, but I was thinking of somebody like uh, this week of like um, Solomon, who like just goes mm-hmm. to show you that you can be the smartest person in all of humankind and still be a Nate. Yeah. So because you just jack it up in the end by being tempted away and by not having a strong fidelity to to God. 
So he, he was standing out for me as one that was just kind of like, yeah, just like blew the whole thing in the end. Like, how, yeah. how can you be innate when you're that smart? Honestly, I don't know. Maybe it's because he was that smart. Well, that's that's a whole nother man. It just blew my mind. <laughs> I feel like Saul might be the uh, Saul in the Old Testament. Saul might be like the epitome of the Nate because he's like chilling out, listening to David play the harp and David's calming him down and David stops and he just like freaks out and throws a spear at him. <laughs> It's kind of a Nate move, I think. Like It's a big Nate move. I can just picture David like dodging out of the way and being like, man, why are you being such a Nate? <laughs> I'm, I came here. I left my father's house. I'm playing this music for you. You try to throw this spear at me. Yeah. Plus, like, you liked the music before. You really were into it. Yeah. Now, this time around, you just want to kill me. Right. Yeah. That's a good call. Um, what about, I was thinking as well that, so Judah, you know, like Jacob's yeah. son. Also yeah. like a huge Nate. So yeah. I was just thinking about this in a like a weird juxtaposition that's probably as much different as our two weather environments right now. In that, so you have Judah who's like, all, you know, all the brothers are conspiring against um, <clears throat> Joseph. And Reuben's like, let's just throw him in a hole. Uh, for, you know, everybody's like, let's kill him. Reuben's yeah. like, let's take the edge off of that just a little bit and just throw him in a hole that he can't get out of. Yeah. Which cl- clearly the implications are the same. Then I love how Judah's like, uh, guys, there's no profit in murder, so why don't we just sell him into slavery? Yeah, I feel like that narrative could be changed to be called Jacob and his 12 sons, Nate. Because all of all of the sons, I mean, we don't hear a lot about what the other sons are doing, but like, there's not any of the sons in this situation that are not being huge Nates. That's Because like, Joseph comes in and he's like, hey guys, I had this dream where you guys were all bowing down and serving me. I don't understand why you hate me so much. Like that's kind of a Nate. That's a Nate thing to do. That's true. So I guess it's clear that you can just like in our own lives, we can be Nates at a particular point in life and kind of come out of that. Or we can exhibit Nate-ish behavior, if you will. And still God can redeem us and use that because he certainly used. I mean, God uses Nates. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. It's true. He, he does. He'd have yeah. to because everybody's a Nate at some point. Everybody's a Nate. <laughs> So it, that's wait. like RC RC Sproul's next book. He had everybody's a theologian. <laughs> he's going to follow it up with everybody's a Nate. <laughs> everybody's a Nate. It's just a matter of it? what kind of Nate you are. Can we just change it to new lip as in like Nate being the first yes, the instead of total, there? total Nateness. Yeah. Because really being a Nate is exhibiting your total depravity. Right. I think so. So yeah. So Judah's a total Nate in the sense that, so he does that. Then he has that weird incident. You know, where he like has a double standard and sleeps with his sister-in-law? No, it's his daughter-in-law. Daughter-in-law, sorry. Like multiple times worth. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> like that that whole thing should just make you be like, wow, that's insane. Yeah. Now he, he does turn it around in the end, but that's what I was thinking about was so convicting is like on the one side we have Christ who comes and step forward, steps forward as a sacrifice, as, as a substitution, but it takes Judah like a long time to get there because by the end of that narrative, he's before Joseph and now, because of the whole setup about Joseph kind of framing Benjamin, he's willing to say, finally, you know, I will come in his stead and, and take the, the punishment, be the sacrifice. But up until that point, like, he's a giant Nate. He is. Like a hor- horrible example. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that it's really uh, sad to hear him say, yeah, instead of murdering him, let's just sell him. Like, it's like a golden opportunity. And even... Even Reuben, when he kind of like says like, well, let's not kill him. 
it's it's not because he's trying to save Joseph. It's because he's right. trying to win favor with his father. So like that that whole narrative really reveals just like the depth of depravity that's going on. And like I think it it kind of reveals like there never was a golden age. We think about like the golden mm. age, like whether it's you know us in 2017 thinking about like the golden age of the 80s, where like where like moral like it was more moral. You know, we talked about it when we talked about Full House of all things. We're like, we look back on Full House and we're like, oh yeah, it was so wholesome. And you know, now things have just really gone down the toilet. No, no, it wasn't. Like people were just as messed up back then as they are now. And then we look, you know, we project back to Bible times, and it's like, no, everybody was still pretty messed up in the in right. Bible times too. Right. Yeah. And even like what you said before, I forgot about like Lot and his daughters, which yeah, that whole situation, of course, would make the evening news and all the papers, and everybody would be aghast at that kind of thing. And yeah, yeah, it just goes to show you that in all these examples, I'm ashamed to say I see a lot of myself sometimes. Like there are little hints of behavior that I think, yeah, I'm I'm certainly being a a giant Nate as well. Yeah. Um, What about some like Nates of the New Testament? Nates of the New Testament. Which sounds like a series that I believe Beth Moore is working on right now. (laughs) (laughs) Stephen Furtick. That's his next uh, sermon series. Huge Nates of the New Testament. <laughs> Huge Nates. Uh, did we say that you can take Nate itself and also modify it? So we've already said big Nate. Yeah. Huge Nate. That, yeah. So if, if you're doing something that's even above and beyond a little bit the scope where it's on the yeah. end of the spectrum that is immense, you can be a giant Nate. Yeah. So like John, John and James are, they're like big Nates when they come back and want to call down fire on the villages. Oh, good call. But like Peter's really like the huge Nate because he actually yes. like cuts off someone's ear. Yeah. So there's like an ascending scale of nateness. Yes, that's a good call, actually. I didn't even think. And not to mention, Peter is kind of like the poster boy for just saying ridiculous Nate like things. Yeah. At at almost all times, except for after the resurrection. Like, it's finally like he looked back in his life and was like, man, I was a giant Nate for most of Christ's ministry. I was just saying stuff. Yeah. So especially like I always love that the transfiguration. Because I think I would have done the exact same natish thing. Like, you know, there's there's Jesus being transfigured. We're seeing Moses and Elijah. And there's a clear conception of who the conver- who the people are in the conversation. And he's just like, Let, let's hang out. <laughs> Let me make a tent for you. Let me build some stuff. Like, yeah. you guys, I just want you. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, I know that that has a lot more meaning in the context. Um, but if you look at it on the face, it, I don't even know what the modern equivalent would be. Like, let, let's build some sheds or let's, yeah. um, I don't know, build some little houses. Yeah, I really don't know. I've always wondered how is it that they knew who these people were? Because it's not like there was like photographs or pictures floating around of these people. True. So what's your theory on that? Have you come to like any kind of hypothesis? I don't know. I don't know. And maybe, I don't know if maybe there was some sort of like introduction where like they... I don't know, like, or maybe like Jesus, when he addressed <laughs> so them, he good. said their name. I, I don't know. There had to be some way they know. I mean, it, I guess it could have just been like direct revelation. They could have just like perceived it. But it's True. just an interesting little piece of information that the text doesn't give you. It is more fun to think that Jesus was like, you guys know Moses, Elijah, <laughs> yeah, yes, you know, law yeah. of prophets. Yeah, you guys exactly. Familiar? Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Law I, and I prophets also sounds like uh, a boxer. Who's describing like his right hand and his left hand. Yes. Yeah. In my mind. I feel like the law and the prophets could be a pretty cool band name. Actually, that would be a pretty cool yeah. band name. Be yeah. like, it'd be like a, like a hardcore band of some sort. Yeah. I tell you what, those guys wouldn't be Nates. No, no. Well, Ironically, they would be, but... 
ironically, uh, the prophet Nathan, not a Nate, even though yeah. his his name, you know, it is That's his namesake. True. Although, I mean, he was right on. Although that whole, uh, like the sheep parable, it's kind of like, oh man, just tear at the heartstrings right there. Yeah, that that is, especially talking about little sheep and pets. I and I know. I bet David thought he was a Nate, though. I, I think he, yes, in that moment, I'm pretty sure. Do you ever read that passage and just think, again, being on this side of the Old Testament and this side of the cross, like, like pull up, David, pull up, total yeah, set exactly. up here. How do you not see this coming? Yeah, I, I it's funny because, you know, at the end of it, instead of instead of Nathan saying, you are the man, it's, I think maybe he probably could have said, you are the Nate. <laughs> David, you are the Nate. You are the name. <laughs> that is so good, actually. Now, this isn't the first podcast that this discussion's ever happened on. I mean, the Bible Nates, but like the discussion about Nates. What was the name of that podcast you were on? Oh, that's true. So there was a, a podcast which has uh, since been discontinued, but it was an NPR podcast called How to Do Everything, which I suppose we could put the link to that episode in the if show I notes. If I can find it, yeah. Uh, I, I think I have the link, but I was, yeah, I was on that. I called into that podcast because it was a show just where people called in to ask ridiculous questions and they would attempt to find the answers. And my question was basically like, do other people do this? And actually I would love to see if people want to comment on the Facebook page or in our group, if their family does this, because I do have a friend who, whose family doesn't use the word Nate, but they use the word Chuck and it means the same thing. Yeah. So I have this theory that people do use names that either have confer some meaning to them by way of experience or, I don't know, just because I think it's funny. Yeah. And they do the same kind of thing. Does your family have anything like that? I don't think so. I don't, not that I can think of. My family tends to curse a lot more. So I think they just <laughs> they just say things that we I can't repeat here. Well, this is a perfect word to use yes. in its stead. Yeah, yeah, this is great. I really want to encourage everybody. I mean, this is my standing recommendation, I guess, for everybody to begin to adopt the word Nate uh, as like, again, to describe something foolish or funny or crazy. Yep. We got some good traction with the right hand of St. Nicholas. So excellent. We're hoping uh, this will also I would like last time we gave Chuck Murphy an assignment and I'd like to give Jake Swink an assignment this time to count Let's do the, it. Count the number of times we say Nate during this podcast and report back to us. <laughs> Jake Swink, yes. it's all on you, brother. It's on your shoulders. Don't, Don't be, a be Nate. a Nate about this. Exactly. <laughs> <sighs> Don't be a Nate. We've, at this point, definitely lost every person named Nathan who was listening to this and thought it was wholesome and edifying. Either and that's, that. It's all gone. Or possibly somebody just looked up on Google what is the meaning of the name Nathan and found our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Here's and a question. What is the meaning of the word Nathan? It's, it's Hebrew actually. It means to give or he gives. Oh, man. Is it yeah. he gives like a Nate? Because. <laughs> no, it's it's usually not. It's usually a good thing. And the name, the name <laughs> Jonathan. a good thing. <laughs> the name Jonathan means Yahweh gives. So it's, it's Yahonathan. Ah, I got you. So it means Yahweh gives. I got you. That uh, is strangely convicting all of a sudden. (laughs) So you wanted wanted me to to follow you in a joke and instead I was serious. So I was a giant Nate about it. Yeah. Well, you kind of, yeah, Nate juked me there. (laughs) I Nate juked you. There you go. Yeah. I feel like now we're just using Nate to Jake Swing's disadvantage, basically. exactly. Nate, 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 (laughs) Nate. How many was that? Take that, Jake Swing. So there's no like other strange language that uh, you use like in your family that's like kind of like this? 
No, you know, really the first, we never had anything like that when I was growing up. Um, I can't think of any sort of like special phrasing or special words we used. Yeah, I, don't, I really do not know where it came from, but I, again, I'm curious to hear if anybody else has like similar experiences or if you want to share who you think like a giant Nate is in the Bible, if there's one that we've missed in particular. <laughs> I think that would be really, really, really helpful. But yeah. I, I really liked your answers. Those were pretty much on point. And it's harder to think of them in the New Testament, I guess. Yeah, there's less total screw ups in the New Testament, at least like <laughs> outwardly. I don't know. I mean, Saul prior to his conversion was a pretty big Nate. So would we consider the Pharisees to be Nates or just to be well-intentioned but misinformed and misdirected? I feel like you can be a well-intentioned Nate. That's fair. Peter was pretty well-intentioned most of the time. That's true. Even when he was like cutting off that guy's ear, it was still good intentions. (laughs) So The, the Bible definitely would be, oh man, this is like bordering on sacrilegious and heretical, but I'm just going to say it now. Just plow through it. it. (laughs) They'll just plow through it. I feel like the the Bible would be more entertaining to me if the word Nate were interjected at times like that. Like if yeah. Jesus said during the striking of the high priest's ear, like, will you stop being a Nate? Let you me feel this real quick. I feel like if we can have the message, if Eugene Peterson can basically do whatever he wants with the Bible, that we should be able to have like the Nate new alert. international Nate version. The new international <laughs> version. International Nate version. Inter- the, the Nate version. TNV. Actually, you bringing that up, uh, since we're just destroying Nate tonight, you bringing that up was the other part of this question I wanted to ask you is, so if we cover some of the the Nates of the Bible, who are like modern Nates in like the theological realm (laughs) that we ought to, we ought to watch out for? Tread lightly. William Lane Craig is a a pretty big theological Nate. Uh, I actually am writing like a series of like in-depth articles trying to like take apart his theology a little bit. So give us like, what is it about him in particular that you think kind of fits that description? Um, like just a summary. Well, William Lane Craig, generally speaking, um, begins his philo- his theology from a ph- philosophical standpoint. So he tends to utilize, um, at least in my reading, he utilizes natural revelation and he treats it like special revelation. So he kind of uses philosophical proofs to try to get you to places that really only only special revelation through the scriptures can get you. So that's a problem. Um, and he's departed from the church's teachings in a lot of really like significant ways um, in terms of kind of the nature of the Trinity and the nature of the incarnation. Um, and he's done that because of philosophical presuppositions he has that don't match the presuppositions that the church has had. So he um, he ends up with some kind of weird janky things. He actually calls his Christology Neo-Apollinarianism, which... Wow. That's a pretty big Nate move there to name is, your name your system talk. after an arch heretic. Um, so that's that's one. What do you think? Uh, first, I want to say arch heretic is like the best word I've heard all day. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's it sounds like a comic book yes. person. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Like, so I like what about think, you? Um, I would. So I'm gonna go just low hanging fruit on this one, but because he is so dangerous, and it is the quintessential Joel Osteen, just yes. because. Even recently, I've interacted with several people who would identify themselves self-proclaimed Christians, and they really love his ministry, like really love his ministry and buy in and listen to what he says. Yeah. And they, they, I guess, build, build a lot of what their faith is based on, on what he is proclaiming. And yeah. it's just so dangerous. It is. He's a huge Nate. He has really great teeth, though. He has miraculous teeth. Like, I know. I don't know. I, I don't know what he does to them. He has They're a lot real, of money. Right? I don't know. 
and wouldn't surprise me if they're not. He has a lot of money, so. They almost look like porcelain. Yeah, maybe. Which, again, makes him like a character book. Character book? Comic Caric book. book. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I think maybe he movie. has, like, he pays individual people to, like, brush his each tooth individually. <laughs> and, like, maybe beforehand, before, a, like, a show, he, they, like, spray paint it white and polish it. <laughs> like, he's got, wait, how many, I don't even know how many teeth you're supposed to have, like. I don't know. 20, he's, I'm he's go probably got 20, extras. Six, like the number of letters in the alphabet. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so, so, but I do like the idea that like he's in the dressing room and like he's he's getting ready and he's just yelling after each tooth like canine person. Yeah, and that person comes in with like a little toothbrush and yeah, just exactly. just does that one tooth. Reform Brotherhood, your dentistry podcast. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, but he he is, in my opinion, a giant Nate, and I just it's really sad because. I, right, again, he not only is he saying what a lot of people want to hear, um, it's just that it's even horrible stuff and that there's, I mean, obviously there's a lot we could say about that, but that kind of stuff just makes me sad. So sometimes a Nate will make you sad. Sometimes a Nate will make you mad. Sometimes a that, Nate will make you glad. And sometimes <laughs> a Nate will make you bad. That, that is our Dr. Seuss portion. Yes. Of this, of uh, this who's podcast. another one? Uh, Jory Micah is kind of a Nate. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't really know what else to say about her. She's just a huge Nate. No, that's fair. And and the reason why I wanted to ask the question is not necessarily just to be like deprecating or like to bash other people, but there is, I think, a real means. I've been increasingly convicted that the Christian life is about living well by thinking rightly. And that also sometimes includes we, we should be able to challenge each other's theology when we see that it's off the mark yeah. and do so in a way where there's a difference between like acceptance and agreement. And she's a good one to bring up because from what I've seen just by way of interaction, she's not really good at having just kind of good dialogue. Right. And sometimes the people that support these people are not good at having good dialogue. And that's, I think, something you brought up before, especially online, about having a more loving dialogue about conflicting ideas that bring conflict into the realm where there's more light than there is heat. Yeah. I, I don't know. Is that fair? Yeah, and I mean, we're, we're kind of making jokes about this, but the reality is, is that there's a lot of people who claim to be a part of Christ's church. Um, and I say claim to be not because I have some sort of like special insight into who's actually part of Christ's church and who's not. But the scriptures do tell us that we and particularly talking, it's talking about prophets. So it's talking about people who are teaching and speaking on behalf of God. Um, we should be assessing the fruit, uh, not only the fruit of their ministry, but their personal fruit, their their lives and their um, their piety and their discipline and their good works. And it, it can be difficult because someone like William Lane Craig, um, he seems like a really like a really nice guy. He seems like he loves the Lord. He seems like he is committed to serving Christ and to um, doing what he thinks is best. And the problem is that. <clears throat> You know, like we said, good intentions don't stop you from being innate. Right. Good exactly. intentions uh, don't stop you from teaching something that can lead people astray. And it might sound really harsh, but I know people who have come to outright heretical conclusions about the Trinity because they've um, taken in the teaching of William Lane Craig. And um, that's some pretty serious stuff, right? The Bible tells us that teachers will be judged stricter than um, right. your average Christian. Now, I don't know what that means. Um, I don't know what it means for a Christian to be judged stricter than another Christian. But um, the, the other problem is that when you have a theology that is so, so wrong um, in so many different ways, 
um, theology is also a fruit, right? Your good theology and your bad theology, those are fruit, those are fruit too. So, you know, people will ask me like, well, do you think he's saved? I, I don't know. I, it's not my job to know that. Um, but I think when we see someone with that kind of theology, like it gives us a, should give us pause to say, this person is rejecting what the church has basically universally taught about the Trinity, um, in really significant ways. So we should be concerned for him, even if it's not, even if it doesn't mean he's unsaved, it means that he's teaching people false things about God. And that's not going to be a pleasant experience when that finally comes to account when he has to pay that bill. So I don't know. Right. And there's something to be said for you can be sincere and you can also be sincerely wrong. Right. Right. And, and so I think part of the special nature of the family of Christ, the brotherhood that we're talking about, we're a part of is this idea that, we can in love confront one another and doing so in love where there was, there's a sense of openness, but a a real concern for somebody because you're right. I like what you said about theology also being a fruit and we should all for that matter, try to grow that fruit by the power of the spirit and uh, make it big and beautiful and ripe and awesome. I was starting to get awkward actually, as I continued on with that metaphor. (laughs) Um, But this idea that like, we can somehow escape theology or it's only for the learned or it's only for those who go to seminary. That is in no way biblical at all. So, you know, getting back to, I guess, going full circle to R.C. Sproul's Everyone's a Theologian, the title is in some ways trite, but it's no less true. That's something that we should all all really consider. So, I mean, what what, what can we do to kind of grow good fruit in that area? Like if you had to tell somebody... So let's say where, where people are listening and some people have a turn of mind where they think they, they love theology. Like they love to study it. They love the nuances of it. They love the technicality of it. But let's say for the people, the average person, that's kind of like, eh, like I'm not, I'm not really into it or at least in the, the way that I understand it. What would you recommend to them to help them grow that fruit? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that's really lacking in um, the modern church is a real focus on kind of the classic theology of the church. So I was having a conversation with someone the other day um, and I was talking about how it's really interesting that when you understand that the Nicene Creed is really just a commentary on scripture, it's just a mm. summary of what the, the scriptures teach about the persons of the Trinity, um, that that you see that on the surface of the text. You see that on the surface of the scriptures. And I'm certainly not saying that we take this you know, this creed, which came hundreds of years after the Bible was written, and we use it as our lens. But when we understand that the church, uh, that this is how the church has understood the scripture, and we should recognize that the Holy Spirit has been moving in the church since Pentecost, um, it really can kind of open your eyes to the scriptures. And it makes the scriptures a lot easier to read when you let the church that has been reflecting on this for 2000 years before we were born, when they you let the church help you understand that. Um, you have to, I mean, you have to be discerning because there are parts of the church that are wrong about things. Um, but I would say really familiarizing yourself with the, the main, um, the main theological documents of the church. So the, you know, the apostles creed, the Nicene creed, the Athanasian creed. Um, and then, you know, I would say, move on to Chalcedonian definition. And then once we get out of the patristic era, start to familiarize yourself with things like the Westminster shorter catechism. Um, and then once you've kind of familiarized with that, move on to understanding the, the longer catechism and the, the confessions. And the reason for that is that, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. 
I think a lot of people, especially people who really love theology, um, they're kind of ambitious to make their mark. And so they start to come up with um, sort of like new theology. They want right. to they want to somehow come up with some kind of insight that no one else has. Uh, but usually what we call that insight when you have an insight that nobody else has ever had, we usually call that heresy um, because <laughs> it, frankly, like. Right on. The church has been reflecting on this and the Holy Spirit has been right. moving the church for 2000 years. The chances that we're going to come up with something radically new is pretty slim. And so what what the task I think for me, my task as a um, a person who's doing theology is not so much to try to like reinvent the wheel, but to take what's going on in our world and bring what the church has been reflecting on for the last 2000 years, bring that to bear in our world. How do I explain to a group of people who are postmoderns who don't believe that there's such thing as um, absolute realities? How do I explain to them that the doctrine of the Trinity is built on this concept of an absolute reality that we call a nature? Right. Right. They, you know, they, they reject that very premise. So how do I how do I explain that and how do I build that? teaching in a way that connects with them that uses their language but doesn't really change the um, substance forgive the theological pun there doesn't change the substance of the teaching um, so I think that that's really important is to familiarize yourself with what the church has said about you know really important things over the the course of um, the life of the church and you'll be surprised what you find right you'll find that things like um, sola fide, things that we you know we say are central that they're not quite as alien to the early church as um, some Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox commentators want to try to make us think they are it's not it's not quite legitimate to say that sola fide as it was formulated in the Reformation was strictly present but it's also not as foreign as as you want to you know as people want to make it seem sometimes that's a great suggestion I like that a lot and I think unfortunately that the confessions or the catechisms get pigeonholed to certain denominations mm-hmm. just because certain denominations have adopted them a little bit more strictly, but that's a wonderful resource. And we're, we're not saying, as you said, that you would replace, for instance, the scripture itself with those documents, right. but I have found them to be such a great resource, like such, such worthwhile to be spent time in as part of your devotional life in combination, of course, with the scriptures right. themselves, because I found that they were distilling big concepts into bite-sized pieces for you to one, help process and two, help remember so that when you're having a conversation with somebody that is of immense value, especially a non-believer, and you're trying to explain to them what the Christian life is about or what is the purpose of man, for instance, you have these, you've already kind of processed these things because otherwise you may think you're well-equipped to be able to go out and have that conversation. But if you're like me, somebody asks you something and you think in that moment, I don't have a good way to kind of distill this down. Like I could ramble on for like five or 10 minutes. Right. And and hopefully the spirit will use that in his empowerment to have an effect on that person. But how much better to be equipped by the spirit, relying on the church fathers in particular, those who are really, really smart, for lack of a better way of saying it, right. and have wrestled through these things and have spent time using the scriptures and summarizing them. I like how you said that there was summary and not some kind of like extra biblical commentary. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, um, what's really, you know, two things, as I've studied um, the confessions and the the creeds, it's driven me back to scripture. So it's it's not usually the case that a person who really invests themselves in understanding the confessional documents of the Reformed tradition or the Lutheran tradition or whatever tradition it is, it's not usually the case that that draws them away from Scripture. I suppose that it's a possibility that someone may kind of 
turn that confession into a, a standard that is above or replaces scripture. But it shouldn't because those standards themselves all say that scripture is, is superior to that. But secondly, right. I think what's really helpful, particularly about like the catechisms, is you know, you have someone who comes up to you, for example, on the street and says, what what does the Bible teach? That's a big question. Huge. And um, you're not going to have a good answer for it. You know, well, it's, right. it's basic instructions before leaving Earth. Like, well, I love Burlap the Cashmere, too. <laughs> wow. But that doesn't really help. That doesn't really help the person that's asking. Like, did that reference just happen? It did. It, oh, it did. It did. But like, that's actually not really true. Like the Bible's not an instruction man. Right. And it's not just about our lives after it's not just preparation for heaven so like those kinds of trite answers don't work but if you look into something like the larger catechism of the reformed tradition in westminster it's going to say well it teaches what god is it teaches um, the persons of the trinity the nature of god's decrees the way he executes his decrees and what's expected of like that's a real concise answer now you might want to expand on that and that doesn't other than decree you know talking about his decrees it doesn't really have a lot to say about the fact that the Bible teaches us about salvation. It teaches us about fellowship with others. You know, there's more to the Bible than that, but that gives you a starting point. And then on top of that, there's a list of scriptures that you can go to, to investigate that further. Yes, so it's kind of like exactly. a, kind of like a search engine too, is you type in a question, it gives you an answer and it says, also, here's all the scriptures you should read to understand this better. So they're really just great, excellent tools that I think, um, I know I, I never knew about until I, you know, until I really started studying Calvinism. I didn't really know what the Westminster Confession was. So to have those available, I think it's just really a blessing. I like that you're basically saying it's like the ancient church's search engine. Exactly. Yeah. And and, and it is because I, th- I think not only most in most versions do you get all the proof text scriptures there, but I think the intent was to say, here is the basic idea but we want to drive you back into the scriptures. We want right. you to go exactly. back and to weigh it out for yourself, but to see also like, that's the best kind of like Berean approach because it's basically like, here's the summary, but you go see for yourself. Exactly. Here's where you can find all this stuff. And, and you're right. It's like a wonderful springboard. It's a bit a springboard. It's a basis for being able to have deeper conversation. And I just think they, they do definitely get a bum rap among a lot of people. And I understand yeah. that they've been abused and they've sometimes been used to build arguments that are in replacement of scripture, but they are just a wonderful resource. Um, what one, like, let's say somebody was trying to, or was interested in getting involved or, or reading a confession or a catechism for the first time, which one are you going to recommend, Tony? Well, I would point them, um, if we're talking about, um, like a, a reformation era catechism or creed or confession, I would point them to the Westminster shorter cat. That's and, what I was going to say. Um, the reason for that is, um, the shorter catechism was intended to be used by um, parents to train their children and as sort of an introduction to the Christian. Um, the larger catechism was really more for ministers and um, people training ministers, and it's a lot more in-depth. So um, it can get, they can get wordy. There's a lot more questions. Um, but that's where I would start. And, you know, if you never do anything except read through the Westminster Shorter Catechism, just sit down and read it. It's not that long. It'll take you, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes to read through it and really kind of like think about it. Um, that's a really good foundation to all of the basics of Christian faith, right down to how do I obey the Ten Commandments? What's required of me in the Ten Commandments? Um, it's just a really good basis. And as far as the sort of more ancient creeds, I, I think that the the Apostles' Creed is great, and I don't want to like downgrade the value of the Apostles' Creed, but 
it's not really sufficient to define orthodoxy in and of itself. Right. Um, there's not a lot in the Apostles' Creed that like a Jehovah's Witness couldn't or a Mormon can affirm. Um, when we get to the Nicene Creed is really where Christian orthodoxy takes root and really has its first major definition. So I would say understanding um, and memorizing the Nicene Creed is something that's really valuable to Christians as well. And if you're looking for something that's a little bit, I hate to use this word, but like a little bit more modern, and this is somewhat more derivative, what I would also recommend is going to new, newcitycatechism.com, which is like a Tim Keller kind of associated organization. But they have basically adopted the catechism such that uh, you can print this off in PDF. It's all free, but it's kind of calendar style where they give you a question a week so you can memorize that yourself as an adult. And if you have kids, and this is great, they basically take the same response. Like the first question is, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer is is printed in two colors of font. If you're, for the children, it's in this blue font. So they take a longer sentence and in the blue font contains less words, but still makes sense. And the full sentence is printed in two colors and that's for the adult. So it's just a wonderful way to get involved, get your family involved, especially during times like family worship, with thinking about these questions and just kind of having them rehearsed in your mind so that you have something to kind of go off on. But I love that idea of making this like a regular pattern because it is a wonderful tool to know the scriptures better. And as we've said, I think on this cast like a bunch of times before, theology is absolutely useless. It becomes totally impractical and a waste of time if it does not result in doxology. Like if there's right. not a movement in our hearts so that when we understand more about God, about who he is, about his character, about what he's done, if that does not compel us and lead us into deeper worship, then we might as well not do it at all, right? Right. Yeah, and New City Catechism is great too because it has um, it has really good mobile apps. That also include um, kind of longer explanations of the questions, sort of like commentary, yes. and then videos and like prayers that you can pray that tie into the the questions. It's really kind of a whole comprehensive suite of things that are involving the catechism. Another thing that I've been trying to do this year that I found really helpful is to try to memorize scripture more. And um, there's a tool that I've been using called Scripture Typer. And um, they have a web application, which I'm not a huge fan of the web application, but they also have it for iPad, iPhone. And what it does basically is um, to start with, so on the iPad version, you tell it what, what Bible verse you want to memorize. And then it has all the words on the screen and you type out the first letter of each word as, as you're going through it. And then they have a, um, a memorize it section. And what it does is the, the words kind of flash on and off on the screen. And so you aren't seeing all of the words. And then the mastery one is you type it with nothing. And once you've mastered it, um, it's going to come up in review. And once you, um, once you review it, it'll start out, you review it the second day after you master it. And if you get it on your first try, then it brings it up again in two days and three days and it extends the amount of time, so cool. but it's always going to be coming back to review. Um, when you, um, you know, once you've mastered it, it'll get longer and longer and longer until you review it, but it will eventually come back in review. And if you get it wrong, if you don't get it on the first one, it doesn't advance the time for you. So it'll bring it back up the next day. So it's just been a really valuable tool. I mean, you know, our church does a congregational verse and usually sometime in like November or December is when I have it memorized. 
Um, but I've actually, I actually had it memorized like the first or second year this year because of this tool. That, so it's, it's just a really cool way to memorize scripture. You can, um, you can type in your own stuff. So I tried doing some catechism questions, which worked okay. Um, but there's no good like reference for it. Um, I had to say like Genesis one was the first question of, um, of the catechism. Um, so it didn't work out so well for that, but there's also apps for memorizing the catechism as well. That's awesome. Um, so I just looked this up because I never even heard about it until you said that. So there's a new reco for me, but it is awesome. Yeah. Like it's actually pretty slick. Yeah. The problem with the web, the web interface is it, it measures your typing speed as a way to tell if you have um, really memorized it or not. And I just was trying it out and put in a verse that I knew really well. And so I type at like 95 words per minute. So if I don't type a verse at, I think it's like 85 or 90 words a minute, it doesn't consider it done. Um, so I, and there's no way to reset your typing speed average. So I, I don't really like the web interface version, but the iPad app is great. I do it every day. Um, it takes me like 10 or 15 minutes to do the verses I've got set up. And once I've got a good rhythm and the verses that I've got memorized, once they got to reviewing weekly, I toss a new verse in that I want to memorize. They also have like a library of verses that you can draw from that are like the most popular verses. Toss a new one in. Once that reaches uh, the point where I'm reviewing it weekly, I toss another one in. Um, and it's just a great way to really uh, memorize scripture. And the beauty of memorizing scripture is that you can then use scripture in your prayer life in ways you couldn't before. Exactly. Um, you can use scripture in conversations the way you wouldn't before. Um, just when you're thinking about stuff, how do I how do I reason out this situation that I'm at work? Well, if you've got passages memorized that have to do with um, how do we serve our authorities, how do we serve God through our vocation? If you've got those passages memorized, then that stuff can click through your head, and you can actually use the scriptures to help you make those decisions in ways you probably couldn't memorize. Exactly, and here's how this goes back to your point about growing that good fruit, that good theological fruit. And that is, if we are making sure that our prayers and the things that we say about the Bible and about God in particular, and the answers that we give, if they are actually using scripture or as close to scripture as possible, then we are protecting ourselves from falling into any kind of pits or from just committing straight up heresy. Right. So we're going to be growing that good theological fruit if we're invested. And what a great tool, like what a great era to live in where you can like pull this up on any mobile device right. and have basically a tutor, a rubric, something to help you continue to memorize scripture. That's incredible. And yeah. we should, we should be taking advantage of this. I'm going to download this thing like right now. Cause this is, a really it's awesome great. tool. Yeah. When I first started, I tossed like 15 verses in there. So don't do that because it gets a little <laughs> overwhelming, but you can start off, you know, you can start Nate off move. with just two or three, um, two or three simple verses to kind of get used to it. And then you just add to it as you go. Um, and yeah. like I said, take 10 or 15 minutes every day and review it. And it really works wonders. That's so great. Especially like having something to kind of coach you through regular ry rhythm of, right. of like, so to speak, like weeding. So you've memorized a verse You've grown the garden, it's fruitful, but you still got to go in from time to time and weed it out. Right. And that's that kind of rehearsing the stuff that you've already memorized. Yep. And I've definitely been convicted a lot recently, especially in times of where it's appropriate to pray publicly, of how do you pray in such a way so that you are not just honoring God, but essentially teaching in your prayer as it's appropriate right. and communicating good theology. And I think that happens best when we pray through scripture, exactly. when our scriptures, or excuse me, when our prayers are essentially tethered very closely to God's word. And and sometimes it's just entirely appropriate, especially 
working your way through the Psalms to pray the scriptures back to God. Right. Because at least you know you are using the very words that are absolutely appropriate and honoring to him because they're the ones that the Holy Spirit has in fact inspired. Right. So I, I really like this recommendation. That's That was worth the price of admission for this podcast, which of course was zero. <laughs> right. So still super good value. So speaking of that, Tony, like as we wrap up, um, I feel like if there was only a way where not only I could read good theology, <laughs> but somehow... <laughs> Somehow, if I could listen to it, if only such technology existed. That's amazing. Um, they just invented this technology. <laughs> <laughs> this this is brand new. It's You've brand new. It's only before. been around for like two or three decades that you could listen to books on tape. So um, we have a promotion that we have been running for a long time and nobody seems to care, but uh, we keep on doing it. <laughs> You can actually get a free trial of Audible, which is a um, is a book, um, uh, digital books, audio books. Um, if you go to audibletrial.com slash brotherhood. And this week, um, I've been reading the, the, the analog old school paper version of this book. But uh, you can get The Whole Christ, which is um, a book by Sinclair Ferguson. And it's kind of reflections on the Marrow controversy, which is a, a kind of an obscure theological controversy in Scotland. But um, basically, the Marrow controversy gets at the heart of the relationship between law and grace and how um, how it is that a Christian lives under grace, but according to the law. Um, and so the, the book is fantastic. Um, you'll really learn a lot, um, not just about the ins and outs of the marrow controversy, but um, really about how you can't separate Christ from his benefits. The main benefit in salvation is that we get God, we get Jesus. Um, and all of the other stuff that comes with it, those things are are great and wonderful and their benefits and blessings but you can't you can't look at those things as what we get because we only get them because we get Jesus and that's really the heart of this book so the whole Christ um, by Sinclair Ferguson uh, it's about seven hours long amazing book I would really encourage you to get it and again you can get that um, by doing a free trial at audibletrial.com slash brotherhood and again I am really just amazed by this and want to give God glory for the fact that we live in this era where all this technology can be used in such a way like we can use downtime, driving time, cleaning time. Like when I'm in there scrubbing the tub, actually using my, my, my wife is scrubbing the tub and she's a <laughs> champ. Um, but we can use our time like that to grow our faith, to grow our theology, to, to learn more and be better equipped to serve others and to love God with more of who we are because we understand something about him. And, and sometimes for me, Reading stuff like that, and I haven't read that book, but I'm I'm all on that, grows in me like a deeper appreciation. And I'm embarrassed to say that sometimes what I need is less emphasis on trying to glorify Christ and more time appreciating who he is, yeah. how comely and beautiful his office is, and the work that he's done. So I totally, totally affirm that. So yeah. Tony, you have like any closing thoughts or remarks on this random of all podcasts? <laughs> I think that the only appropriate closing remark for the evening is don't be innate. Don't be innate, people. But you're definitely being innate if you don't start using this term in your own sphere of influence. Yes. Share the gospel of being innate. <laughs> Eek. That's all. I <laughs> <laughs> and we've come full circle. That was Take two. That was definitely Jesse's being comment. innate. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was definitely being innate. Innate will go too far. And clearly right. I've just done that. It's so. all good. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We will catch you next week. Don't be Nate. Uh -huh.